I do a lot of reading throughout the week, and, and recently, this past week, I read an article about a woman who was wanting advice. She was writing into a, an advice uh, column regarding her decision to divorce her husband. Not an uncommon request, not an uncommon thing for a person to be writing about. In, as she was writing to this person uh, about whether or not she should divorce her husband, she confessed that she had a wonderful relationship with him, that her rela- she, she loved him, she had a great relationship with him, but that recent events had been so difficult because of the difficulty of, of, of these recent events, she was considering dissolving their marriage. Now, you're probably asking yourself, maybe, what I was asking myself. What hor- horrific event could have pushed this woman who admits that she loves her husband and admits that she has a wonderful relationship with him, what horrific event could have pushed this woman to such a life-changing decision? Was it the infidelity of the husband? No. He'd been faithful to her. Was it a health crisis? No. Was it the consequences of the COVID-19 shutdown where where married couples are actually together now and finding how little they have in common or sometimes how much they even like each other? That wasn't it either. Was it financial ruin? Death of a child? Had she finally found her true soulmate? No, no, and no. The problem that was going to dissolve her marriage was this. Her husband's parents had purchased the house next door. Now, I'm not going to ask you whether or not you would raise your hand as to the fact if that happened to you, if, if you, if you would consider divorce. Now, like you, when I read that, I laughed. I chuckled. But I was aghast when I read the remainder of the article and that the vast majority of respondents encouraged her to file for divorce. How pathetic and how typical in this culture of ours. But let's pause for a moment. When life becomes unsettling, how quickly do you and how quickly do I look for the nearest exit? Things become unsettling. Things become a little scary. Things become a little difficult. And immediately, we're looking for the nearest exit. Now, I don't have to say this. We've talked about it over the courses. This parable and this discourse has fit right into what's, what's happening in our, our culture and our world at this time. We're currently living in a time of unrest. We're currently living in a time of uncertainty. And as we've looked, these events, uh, especially as COVID was beginning to, to more and more was becoming the, uh, the pandemic that it, that it has become, these events, as we, as we have learned, are not the signs of the end, but certainly foreshadow the end. And these events also, however, force us to this question. In the current climate of events, in the current climate of events, what kind of living, what kind of living does God expect from those who claim to be His children? This is not the first time we faced difficult times in my lifetime, and it won't be, I lived through the 60s, okay? I remember the 60s. Uh, I remember what it was like then. I remember the year that 
Dr. King and Robert Kennedy both were shot within and killed, assassinated within months of each other. And thinking as a 10-year-old boy, what in the world is this world coming to? Who's going to die next? Who's going to be killed next? We live, this is not the first time we've experienced difficulties. It won't be the last time this world experienced difficulties. But it does force us to ask, are we going to look for the exit sign or are we going to see how God wants us to live during this time? And that's the thrust of the final words of this discourse of Jesus. Jesus is instructing His disciples as well as you and I, regarding living life through the end. Living life through the end. And as, we, as, as the visible manifestation of God's kingdom draws near, as we get closer and closer and closer to the visible manifestation of God's kingdom, there's two things that Jesus talks about here. What we must remember. What, what, what should be, what should be the, 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 the grounding, the foundation of our thinking as we look at a world that is seemingly being torn apart by the scenes? What must we remember and how shall we live? As Jesus closes out this discourse, He's hours away from His crucifixion. His time is short. He knows what's going to happen. He knows He's going to be leaving the twelve. And so what... What does he want to get across to them in this last discourse? The first thing that we we see in our text is what must we remember? And it's found in verses 32. Go go back to your text there in verse 32 and verse 33. Let's just look at it there. It says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. What must we remember? What what must we remember is this. Never doubt the nevers. Never doubt the nevers. When you look at the Greek text, at the beginning of verse 32, which is, is again, it's translated in in our text here, truly I say to you, and then that's kind of the introduction. When Jesus says that, it's meant to to kind of grab your attention. And then then he says, this generation will not pass away. As we talked about word order, word order in the Greek New Testament is not based on subject, verb, and an object. Uh, You can have the verb, the first word. You can have the verb in the middle. You can have the verb at the end. You can have the subject. Sometimes the subject is within the verb. But word order determines emphasis. When something's thrown at the beginning of a sentence or something comes at the end of a sentence, that's the place of emphasis. That's, that's the words they are wanting to emphasize or the, the thought that they're wanting to get across. And at the beginning of verse 32 and at the end of verse 33, Jesus uses the double negative and it looks like an O-U and a funny looking U and an N. It's, that's ow or ooh, ume. That, 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 those two words is at the beginning of verse 32 and at the end of verse 33. And that word is, is put with, the word that's translated, pass away or perish. When he says, uh, this generation will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, will not pass away. Will not pass away. So you have the will not pass away at the end of verse 32, of verse 33. You have the will not pass away at the beginning of verse 32. These negatives are placed in an emphatic position. You have them at the beginning of this thought. You have it at the end of this thought. And 
Ume itself, or Aume itself, is an emphatic phrase. If you were to translate that literally, it would come out this way. Not, not. Not, knock, knock. Okay, not that. But not, not. Not, not. We would, we would say it this way. Never, no, never, no, never. Or my favorite way of saying, way, saying it, no way, Jose. <laughs> you know? No way, Jose. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. It's not going to occur. There's no way, positively, absolutely, without a doubt, no way, Jose, this is going to happen. So when you, when you look at this text right here where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, no way, positively no way, absolutely no way, no way, Jose, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, no way, positively no way, absolutely no way, no way, Jose, will my words pass away. It's not going to happen. It's simply not going to happen. Those are the two nevers. Those are the two nevers. And Jesus wants us to remember, never doubt the nevers. So as we live through the end, what two things that Jesus uses here must we never doubt? The first thing is the foreshadowing and the quickness of the end. Again, look at verse 32, where we read again, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, the word, the word there that's translated generation, by the use of that word, this makes this, this verse one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. It's one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. There are about eight, nine, or ten views of this what, this, what Jesus meant by this here. In my opinion, the two best candidates are this is that the generation of the disciples, that this generation, when he's talking about this generation will not pass away uh, until, until all has taken place, it could possibly have the idea that Jesus is talking about the generation of the twelve. That that generation of the twelve disciples will witness Jerusalem's destruction. And the majority of them did. But this is also an event which guarantees that the end will occur in the future. And we talked about that earlier when we started all the way back looking at this discourse at the beginning. That the fall of Jerusalem, that was Jesus is, when Jesus is saying, but this, when you see this happen and this happen and this happen, he says, but this isn't the end. This isn't the end. These are not the signs of the end, he said. Uh, and, and he talks about the fact that he, that, that of Jerusalem's destruction. While Jerusalem's destruction is not the end, nor is it the signs of the end in 70 A.D., Jerusalem, which is going to be about, Jesus spoke this around 30 A.D., about four four decades later, the destruction of Jerusalem occurs. This prophecy is fulfilled. But Jesus is letting them know that when you see that, when you see that, it's not the end, but it's a guarantee that the end is going to come. It's the down payment. It's a guarantee It's a foreshadowing that the end is going to come. It's going to come. So that's one idea of it. The second idea could be the fact that the generation that actually sees the events that signal the beginning of the end, which you find in verses 25 and 26, there's going to be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great, great glory. 
when, when you do get to those, actual, to those actual signs, that the generation that actually sees those events and witnesses those events, they'll actually witness the end as well. In other words, when the signs occur, when these signs of the end occur, the end's going to come quickly. Now, in, 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 in my eschatology, that's about a seven-year seven time period. Uh, the, 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 the tribulation, the great tribulation is the last half of the tribulation, three and a half years. That's pretty quick compared to hundreds and thousands of years. So that's the two ideas here. But what Jesus is saying is this. He says, never, when we're talking about never doubt the nevers, never doubt the foreshadowing and the quickness of the end. That every time we see our world being turned upside down, it's not the end. It's not the end, because these, these last signs aren't taking place. It's not the end, but it is a foreshadowing, and it is a, a, a reminder to us that the end's going to be coming. The end's nearer than it was the day before. Because of that, we need to be prepared. Because of that, we need to be preparing ourselves when we stand before God. So that's the first thing. We're, we're never to doubt the never. And, 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 and we see that, that for our present generation, that, that, that first idea is that our, while our current events do not signal the end, but they do point to its certainty. It's going to come. It's going to come. When you, when, when you see what, what's taken place in the last two months, and you see the things that are happening in our world, it's not the end, but it points to the fact that it is coming. It is going to come. And some future generation, when you witness the signs of the end, God's judgment is going to come. It's not going to last forever. And deliverance is going to occur soon. So that's the first never. Never doubt. Never doubt. When you see these things, don't doubt it. It's a reminder to you that the world, the end of the age is going to come. What we've seen are not the signs of the end of the age. But it does give us an idea of what the end of the age looks like. So it should cause us to pause. It should cause us to think. It should cause us to recognize that there's more to life than what takes place in the 70, 80, 90 years that we get to live on this earth. That there's something beyond this life. The second never that we should never doubt is the certainty of the end. Look at verse 33. You say, well, you know, how, how can you say that with such certainty? Well, look at the certainty that Jesus uses here. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never, no, never, ume, never, no, never, no way, Jose. My words will not pass away. How certain can we be? Well, this is how certain we can be. Jesus says creation is less permanent in his teaching of eschatological truth. Eschatological truth is the truth of the last days. Jesus said, I mean, I mean, honestly, don't all of us expect to see the sun rise tomorrow? I mean, if, if we live, we expect the sun to come out of the east, don't we? And because we live in Texas, by the time we get out of church here, you know, the sun's going to kind of be overhead us, and it's going to be a, a nice, balmy, something, 90-something, okay? And then the sun's going to set in the west, Beautiful full moon last night. Be, be kind of quite a, pretty close to a full moon tonight. We expect the moon to go through its faces. You know, we expect the constellations to still be there. We expect to see stars at night. 
the sun in the, the day, the moon in the evening. And we know that the world's been around for a long, long time. And our universe has been around for a long, long time. And it seems pretty permanent. The mountains were there before we, we, we took our first breath, and the mountains will still be there after we take our last breath. We look around, and, 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 and the places that we see are the places that we take our grandchildren, and we've seen them, and, and uh, uh, you know, they've seen them, and then when we're off the scene and they take their grandchildren to Pikes Peak or wherever, you know, they'll see the same, you know, there might be more houses and stuff, but they'll basically say, see the same landscape that we see. And it seems to be permanent. But Jesus said, my teaching about the last days are more permanent than heaven and earth. Because there's coming a new heaven. And there's coming a new earth. There's coming a time when the earth and the universe as we know it will be different. It'll still be, he's going to remake this earth. And he's going to remake the universe. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more harm and hurt and Discord and distrust and, 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 and people hating each other just because they're different. That won't exist anymore. It won't exist anymore. That's the certainty of the end. Never doubt that. People might think you're crazy. People might not think, you say, you know, listen, it's been the same way for the last six, seven hundred years as it will be the next six, seven hundred years. You know, we, we, we let time go. I mean, we think about, you know, 4th of July is coming back, uh, coming up here on the 4th of July. Uh, and so, you know, 1776, so what, that night, 24, 44, 244 years old. And we, we just kind of blow that off, you know, 244 years. But think, think what the year is going to be 244 years from now. The year 2262. I guarantee you, none of you are going to be around. You know, and those that will be around won't even remember you, nor will they remember me. I mean, it, it's like I, I, if you ask me to name my relatives that were living 200, 200 years ago, I can't tell you. I got no idea. I've got, I've got no idea. And I, I mean, they say, well, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to spend the money at Ancestry, okay, to find out. Because I really don't care, you know. Really don't care. But the permanence of Jesus' words outlasts the permanence of heaven and earth. Those things we need to remember. Those things we, we must never doubt the nevers. The second thing is, well then, how shall we then live? With these truths in mind, Jesus concludes the discourse by answering the question, how shall we then live? And basically he says two things. Be on guard. Stay alert. It, it goes through verses 34 through 36. And Jesus uses two imperatives. Two commands. He tells us what we should anchor our thinking in. We anchor our thinking in the fact that the what we see going on, when we see our world going crazy, it's just a foreshadowing. It lets us know that this is just what the end, this is, this is not the end, but it looks like the end. And when the end really comes, it's going to be quick. And the fact that you can be certain about this, because this is what Jesus taught, and you can be more certain about this than you can be certain about the sun's going to rise in the east and set in the west. 
So what two things, what two commands does Jesus give us here? These two imperatives. Look at verses 34 through 36. But watch yourself. Watch yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake. Watch yourself. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The two imperatives. First imperative, there it's, it's easily seen there in verse 36 where he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 34 when he says, but watch yourselves, to watch, to be on guard. Prosecete, uh, prosecete. It means to, 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 to uh, uh, it's a warning against carelessness. The disciples are, he's saying, don't be careless. Remember, don't forget, never doubt the nevers. And this is how it should affect your life. Don't become careless. Oh, yeah, Jesus is going to come. Ah, oh, yeah, all these things are going to take place. You know, it didn't happen. In my, I've been hearing about stuff like this all my life. And, you know, he might, he might, I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, oh, my goodness, Jesus is going to come before I get my driver's license. So that's why I started driving at 14 until my mom and dad called me, you know. You know, got to drive, you know. Jesus is going to come before this. Jesus is going to come before that. Jesus is going to... And guess what? He hadn't come. I got my license. I got married. I've got kids. And I got grandkids. Now, he may come today. The rapture might happen today. But I may have my little plot over here in Emerald Hill somewhere, you know? Don't know. Don't know. And Jesus says it's easy to become careless. And he talks about in verses 33 and 34, the, uh, uh, he talks about the, the, the risks. I'm sorry, in verses 34 and 35, he talks about the risks of becoming careless about his teaching on the last days. And look at the risks. Look at the text again. He says, But watch yourself lest, if you don't watch yourself, if you, if don't, you don't be, on, be guard. on guard. Hey. Whoa. Let's pray and go home. Uh, if we don't, if we don't, there are three things Jesus talks about that can happen to us. He says... But watch yourself lest, what? Your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. That's, that, 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 that's two of the three, right? Uh, that, that, well, that, that's the first thing right there. Those three, two, three, three things are tied together in one. Dissipation basically is the idea of the dizziness that a person would feel when they become drunk. And then the, the drunkenness and the cares of this life. And, and, and basically, the, the idea here, I, I, I think it's probably being used more metaphorically than it is literally, but it's talking about a heart that is weighed down or burdened. When it says, when it talks about a heart, hearts being weighed down, a heart that's burdened, it's a picture of someone who lives for and is concerned about the things of the world. 
They live for and concerned about the things of the world. And really, if you're not looking for Christ to come, your whole life centers on what's happening right here. Because we're either living for what's happening here or we're living for what's going to happen there. One of the two. As a believer, I'm either... And again, I'm not just talking about people who don't know Christ. As a believer, I'm either living my life... I'm placing my treasures here or I'm placing my treasures there. Now, for, the, for, for, for probably all of us, we probably do a little bit of both. And, and hopefully we're doing more of this than more of that. And so that's the, the first thing. If, if I become careless as I think about the, 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 the truth that Jesus is teaching regarding the last days, then I become, my heart becomes weighed down or burdened, and, and, and I'm more concerned about what's going on here, the things that I can see. The second thing that he talks about, look, he says, and that day, continue at that verse, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Like a trap. Entrapment. Their careless living has caused them to be unaware of the events around them and thus unprepared for the end demonstrated by a life of faithfulness. When, when I become careless, when I begin focusing on what's happening here rather than on what's happening there, I, 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 I become... I'm not looking at the events that are happening as Jesus is letting me know and reminding me, Greg, this world isn't permanent. And Greg, I'm coming back and I'm going to judge the world. And Greg, as a believer, I expect you to live a life of faithfulness. And, and these things are, 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 are there. When, when, when I look and see what's happening, that's what it should be a reminder. That's, that's how I should be processing that. Yes, is there things that I can do to make this world better? Are there things that I can do to, to help and minister people during this time? But also it's a reminder to me that this life is not what life is all about. Yes, this life's important because it prepares me for the next life. But the text says that what can happen is, is that because of my careless living... I'm completely unaware of what God is trying to teach me through this. And I begin living a life that's demonstrated by unfaithfulness. I'm hit and miss. I'm, I'm just hit and miss. And I live a life of unfaithfulness because my life is all about making sure the mortgage is paid, making sure i got a decent car to drive, making sure that I'm putting money in my investments, making sure that uh, everybody's healthy, making sure that things are running smoothly, making sure that my world can be as peaceful as it can be, and everything's about this right here. But there's a third thing that Jesus says. He says, watch yourselves lest your hearts are weighed down, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And in verse 35, he says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It's pretty comprehensive. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. That doesn't leave anybody out. That doesn't leave anybody out. And the risk becomes... Uh, Jesus is, is, is he said, basically letting them know, whether you're a believer or not a believer, you better be prepared to meet me. 
you better be prepared to meet me. This third risk is the risk of, of denying the reality of accountability and judgment. Jesus, don't think, don't think that your life is the exception to the rule. Don't think that you'll not stand before God, that I'll not stand before God and give an account of my life. On how I live, have I lived my life here or have I lived my life with a future orientation? That God would use my life in however way He wishes to use it in order to advance His kingdom. And that God has put me here so that I might bring glory to Him. That I might live a life that reflects His presence. That, regardless, that, that, that all the things that are taking place, that I can interject myself in all the unrest and in all the difficulties and in all the uncertainties and I can be a light for Christ. I can be a light for Christ. But it's easy for us to forget that. If, if we don't think about the fact that Jesus is coming and when He comes, He's going to hold all human beings accountable. If, if we, and it's easy. It's easy for us to get so busy and so involved and so wrapped up in this life that we forget that truth and we become entrapped, we become ensnared, and the reality of our accountability and the judgment of our life before God vanishes away in our thinking. Paul talks about that his believers will stand before God and give an account. And I, I, I wish they would translate it literally, of whether our lives have been good or good for nothing. Good or good for nothing. The second imperative is found in the first word of verse 36. But stay awake. Agupetemite. This verse, as Jesus is closing out this discourse, this verse is a final call to faithfulness in the midst of the unsettling and uncertain events of the day. He says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This, this is the last parable His disciples are going to hear. He's hours away from His crucifixion. He's hours away. It's hours away from the time that the twelve... Judas is going to betray Him and the other eleven are going to scatter. He's hours away from that. He's hours away from that. And His last sentence... And again, this isn't His last sentence to them. But His last sentence in this public teaching is a call to faithfulness, even when things are unsettling and even when things are uncertain. And He tells us how we are to do it. Two ways. First, we pray for God's strength to escape the trial and the temptations of the present moment. Look at what He says. But stay awake at all times. How? Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. I don't think he's just, he's not just talking about here, God, keep me alive during this time. Paul talks about that, that when we're tempted, there's always a way of escape. Always a way of escape. That with the temptation, God provides a way of escape. And if I don't take that way of escape, it reveals where my heart is at. I'm not looking for it. 
I don't want it. I don't want the way of escape. So part of how we remain faithful when times are uncertain and when times are difficult is we ask God for the strength to deal with the trial. Ask God for the strength to deal with the temptation that is going on at that moment. God, I'm weak. I, I can't take it. As we sang earlier, you know, if you wait till you get better to come to Jesus, you're never going to come. We go, we are, even after we become believers and followers of Christ, we are still poor and needy. We need His strength. We need His power. We need His help. We need His love. We need His Spirit at work in our lives. We want to fly off the handle, but we say, God, help me to have, this, have the fruit of the Spirit. Help me to be patient and long-suffering. Help me. Yesterday is my wife's birthday. My wife loves to fish. My, lo- my wife loves to go on the lake. I'd rather watch grass grow. Okay? My, in fact, my mother-in-law said this to me when we were out there. We were, she said this to all of us as we were out there on the boat last night. She said, you know what? She said, if I ever have to use anybody as an example to show how two people that are opposite in every way could be attracted to one another, you and Lisa are the example. I'm not kidding you. We are. I say night, she says day. I say up, she says down. I say, I say here's this idea, and she says, no, let's do this. I mean, I mean we're, like, we're like this. It is God's miracle, you know? It is God's miracle. We try to make a list one, not, really, not a list list, but just talk. What is it that we have in common? We came up with a few things. <laughs> That's about it. That's about it. As Jesus is talking here, and and, and he tells us for God's strength, certain trials, certain temptations, as I was as as, as we were out there on that boat, I don't I don't want to go. And Lisa didn't care if I went, because she knows how much I hate it. But I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go. Now, that was the first hurdle. The second hurdle is a much bigger hurdle. I'm going to go with a good attitude. That was the big one. And eh, it took me a little while to get there. Right, babe? <laughs> that was a quick answer. Yeah. 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 Took me a little, but did I get, I did get there. Yeah, see, here we go. I'm not lying. Uh, so uh, so it, it took me a little while to get there, but I got there, you know, 90 degrees out there, sweating, you know, but my wife's, my wife, it's her birthday, and so she's going to fish. So she's out there fishing, and I've got a, her mom's sweating, and I've got a towel trying to block the sun so her mom, so her mom won't get too overheated. But I spent a lot of day yesterday praying. God, help me in this moment. <laughs> help me. Sometimes I failed, and sometimes God changed. And that's, that, that's what he, we, we pray in that moment. If we're going to live faithfully, God, we pray for present strength. God, help me at this time, whether it's a trial, whether it's a temptation, whether what's taking place, God, give me the strength that I need for this moment to deal with this situation. And the Bible says he will. James tells us if we lack wisdom, and, and the context deals with trials. The word that's used for trials can mean either an enticement to good or an enticement to evil. It's basically those things that it doesn't necessarily just mean temptation. It can be a trial. 
is, is I'm going through those things, and if I ask God for wisdom, He will give me wisdom to know how to deal with the situation and with the trial. So I pray for that. Pray for God's strength to escape the trial and temptation of the present moment, and secondly, to look toward and live with a future orientation to stand before Christ in approval. Look at the text again. He says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What does that mean? The idea is the idea as you would if, picture if you would if, if, president or the CEO of your company or whomever wanted to give you an award. And one of the ways in which you honor somebody is they stand before you and you put the medal around their neck and you hand them something and you shake their hand. As they're standing before you, they stand before you and they are receiving commendation, they're receiving approval as they have accomplished something And because of that accomplishment, that individual or that group is being recognized. That's the idea. So that you can stand before the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Christ. That we live in such a way. We live with a future orientation. Because I'm going to give an account of how I acted yesterday on the fact that my wife wanted to go on a boat and go fishing and... Because we'd had an argument a few days before. I said, why would you even ask me when you know how much I hate it? That's spiritual, isn't it? Huh. Why are you even asking me to go when you know how much I hate it? You're being... And that's when she told me how selfish I was. And I said, well, you're just, you're just selfish. I would, never, I would never ask you to go do something that I didn't think that you didn't care for. <laughs> Liar. God wants us to live with that future orientation. I'm going to give an account for June 6th, 2020. I'm going to give an account for that day. And did I live with a future orientation or did I live to please self? That's how we remain faithful. Not just in uncertain times, not just in difficult times, at all times. Praying for present help and living with a future orientation. So once again, we find ourselves living in uncertain times. And Jesus tarries is coming in your lifetime. You're going to find yourself in a lot of other situations, in several other situations where you're going to look back and you're going to think, my goodness, it's never been like this before. And as followers of Jesus, how we live our lives during these times is important. And it's important because of what it communicates to God and what it communicates to others. God, I'll be, it, it doesn't matter what's going on. I love you, and I know you're good, and I know you're gracious, and I might struggle, and I might trip, and I might fall, as Linda's testimony was in her struggle with her friend's death. She struggled with it, but yet, in the end, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And we arrived at the right end point. The right end point. How we live is important. It tells us what we really believe about God 
and it gives us that opportunity to share our lives with Jesus with others. Live life through the end. Live life through the end by never doubting the nevers. This isn't the end, but it is a living illustration of the characteristics and certainty of the end. I've never had one of these, but because I lived in a time when fathers were allowed to be with their, li- their wives when they were giving birth, and you got to go to all the classes with them, I learned about Braxton Hicks. Okay? He's not a country and western singer. Okay, Braxton Hicks, you ladies know, are those pains that you have when you think you're going into labor, but you're actually not. I read a little bit about him, you know. know, I've never experienced him, but I read a little bit about him and what it's supposed to do and why they think it does that. They're not quite sure, but it's helping to prepare all the different body parts to get ready for the birth. But when you have those pains, ladies, you actually think, this is it. This is it. And what we see going around us, it's Braxton Hicks. It's the earth and creation in this world and the culture having these labor pains that are not quite labor pains yet. It's given us a little, it's given us a little taste of what it's going to be like when the labor pains actually come. When your wife looks at you and says, I could kill you, you know? It's a little bit of those labor pains. This isn't the end but it's a living illustration of the characteristics and certainty of the end. The teaching of Jesus has permanence. His coming is our deliverance. Therefore, today, pray for and rely upon God's strength for the moment. Pray today, today, June 7th, 2020. Pray for and rely upon God's strength for the moment and... Commit yourself to a life of faithful obedience, living with a future orientation in order to stand before His presence to receive those words of approval. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. A few things. I'll make you ruler over many. What grace. What grace. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and thank you for your work of grace in our life. Father, I pray you take these truths, apply it to our hearts today where they need to be applied. Help us to see our need. And Father, we're grateful for all that's ours in Christ. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we do not have an altar call, but we do have an invitation because everybody's going to respond to God's Word today. You don't have to have an altar call to respond to God's Word. We respond. Each one of us today is going to respond. Where in your life do you need to pray for God's strength for the moment? Where are you struggling? Where in your life are you not living with a future orientation? Confess those things before God. or Maybe today, praise God for the work of grace He's doing. And at the same time, praise God for the work of grace that He's doing in your life.
areas where there is growth. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness and I need a right relationship with the one who created me and Jesus did all that for me because I could never do it myself he lived the life we praised we sang we, we praised him for his life we praised him for his death because in his life and in his he, he, he took that perfect life and offered it up as a sacrifice for my sin and your sin, took the full wrath of God for our sin, and that when we cry out to Him in repentance and faith, admitting our need for Him, He saves us, and we become His child, and the journey begins. The journey begins of being transformed into the image of His Son. If you've never done that, you can do that right now. If you've got questions about it, we'd love to talk with you after the services. And if you do put your faith and trust in Christ, now let us know. You'll want to let us know. Because that's just the beginning. God's salvation is not so He can just deliver us from hell. It's a a lifelong journey of, of being formed and fashioned into the image of His Son. But it begins with a new birth. A new birth. We want to give you a moment. We'll give you a time of silence. Give us all a time of silence to consider this text today and its application to our heart and then we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. And we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, that that we can come to you at any time, at any moment, and ask you for the strength that at times we really don't even want, but we know that we need. Father, we thank you that you give us even the desire to do the right thing. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us this week to not only give us the ability, but give us the desire so that we might be faithful in our walk this week. And when we do fail, that we'd be quick to seek your forgiveness, to come to you in repentance. And Father, that we would rejoice in the progress that's made, even if it's almost imperceptible. Lord, we pray that you continue to encourage us and we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray for someone here that may not know Christ. We ask, Father, that you would show them their need. Lord, we ask your continued blessings upon each life here. Thank you, Father, for your work of grace. Thank you 
for bringing us here today at this time, at this moment, when we can look into your word and find you and how you love us and how you work in our lives and how you encourage us and how you give us the strength and how you are the one that we are to run to. Father, we hope and pray today that you've been lifted up, that your son has been lifted up, that the Spirit of God has been lifted up today, that our great triune God has been made much of today. Forgive us where we failed. And Father, use your word to be an encouragement to the lives of those that are here. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. And Lord, we give you all the praise and glory and honor. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen. We thank you for being here today. We want to uh, encourage you. If, if you've, We are eventually going to start having the offering. Uh, we're, we're not doing it yet at this time, but we will. It's, it's an aspect of our worship. Uh, so, but at, at this time, if you have um, uh, a, an offering that you'd like to give or if you have your uh, visitor's card that you'd like to put, the, the plates are right there at the back uh, where... Um, Donnie and, and Larry are at in the, in the booth, and you can just go ahead and put that there. Uh, again, we appreciate you being here. We're looking forward uh, to what the Lord has for us uh, today and uh, throughout the rest of this day. Hope you have a great day. Uh, remember tonight for my Bible study class, uh, we're going to be uh, meeting at Zoom at 7 o'clock. And, uh, and then also uh, we want to encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. If you can't, you'll be getting a Zoom invitation as well to to participate in that. Uh, as I was preparing the message, my uh, 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 thoughts went to uh, some verses that, that I'm memorizing for this year, and, and uh, I don't really, I kind of take, I look at all the versions and look at the, the text and kind of phrase it in a way that's, um, you, um, this, this text really, it's, it's got net in it, it's got ESV, it's got some of my own translation. But I, I want to share this passage with you because I think it will be an encouragement to you. It's from Psalm 37, 1 through 5. Do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Do not envy evildoers, for they will quickly dry up like grass and wither away like plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is right. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your future to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act on your behalf. I pray this week that you will commit your future to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act on your behalf. May God be with you. May He bless you. May you have a great week this week. It was good to see all of you. We love you, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. God bless you. Thank you. You're dismissed.